1460 KXNO's Thirsty Thursday continues now as we head north to Whiskey River and Ankeny for the Cyclone Fanatic Radio Show, powered by Mechdyne. Now, here are your hosts, Jared Stansberry, Brent Bloom, and Chris Williams. Yo, it's time for another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Radio Show, powered by Mechdyne, on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Another week without Chris Williams and Brent Bloom. Those guys are in Ames, Iowa, preparing for play-by-play of a round of 32 game in the NCAA tournament between the Iowa State women and the Missouri State Bears. Should be a fun game if you're not already on your way up to Ames. You still have plenty of time to get there and watch some good basketball. Are you excited for the Iowa State women? You going to watch tonight? Very excited. I I should also mention Austin Hurst is here again, just like last week. We talked on last week's show that we hoped to be talking about a Sweet 16 berth for the Cyclones. Unfortunately, it was not in the cards with a 62-59 to loss to Ohio State Friday night. Unfortunately not. That one definitely stings just because even watching the game, you just thought Iowa State, if they could squeak it out, that they probably wouldn't play that bad mm-hmm. on, against uh, Houston on Sunday. But unfortunately, it was, it was not meant to be. Yeah, and I think, too, that Chris and I kind of touched on this in our season review podcast. The thing that really made it so disappointing is that Ohio State was not good. You know, that's not a good basketball team, I don't think. I I don't think so either. I was touching on it with, you know, just some buddies that I watched the game with. And really watching that game, it, it almost felt like you were watching the old West Virginia teams play, mm-hmm. play in the half court. Um, just really trying to, you know, they slowed the game down and just kind of roughed it up and were really physical and just pretty much uglied up the game. And um, that that was their game plan coming in. And, I mean, it definitely worked for them. Yeah, I, just, I, I was frustrated as someone who embraces post-play. I was frustrated what, by the way, the game was called in that sense. Uh, Caleb Wesson, you got to give him credit. I mean, the kid was awesome. Yeah, he but was great. he was also allowed to get away with a lot of stuff, both on both ends, I think. that. And this is where I think, you know, we talked so much about trying to get him into foul trouble and stuff like that. It, 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 I feel like for them to have success, it is so reliant on what the officials are calling on that given night against him. Just the way that he plays offensively, where you see him hooking people around with his off arm trying to get the ball in the post and uh, the way that he'll throw his shoulders around into people. I mean, he just lays on people kind of. And that's what, where I was like, man, I don't know what Iowa State can even do defensively against this guy right now just because he's basically being allowed to do whatever he wants to in the paint. Right. And like you touched on on Twitter, I mean, you know, a lot of people were calling for, for double teams in the post, but if he's catching the ball right in front of the rim, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter at all if you double team him or not. But well, I can, And two, like, with that, the Iowa State guys that were guarding him, Cam and, and Mike, they were both getting so many fouls called on him just trying to keep him from doing that that then all of a sudden you almost just have to allow him to bury you up underneath the rim. Yeah, and I just think that definitely the – the officiating, which obviously there were some, you know, big calls that, yeah. you know, went against Iowa State. But officiating, you know, they, they definitely let them play. And the biggest thing was that just heavily favored Ohio State, just mm-hmm. the way the game was called. You know, even just a lot of uh, 
like hand checks. I thought, I thought riding people of, riding people through the lane. Right. Yeah. yeah. I thought there was a lot of uh, hand checking, and I mean, this is almost just a little bit down another hole. But I mean, Nick Weiler Bab, I don't think all year got a very good whistle going to yeah, the rim. Yeah. Yeah. That, that dude would drive to the rim almost every single game at least two or three times, and. You know, he probably shot maybe two or three free throws a game. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, definitely, the the whistle definitely favored Ohio State, the way the game was called, just the amount of physicality. And if you would have told me going in that Ohio State would have 12 fouls once the game was over, I probably would have figured it did not bode very well for Iowa State. Right. Well, and, two, I don't I don't want anybody to think that it's like, oh, I'm blaming the officials. Because, obviously, Iowa State just played bad. Right. I mean, the – all of this happened, and they still had a, They were down by three with a chance to tie the game with yeah. ten seconds on the clock. hundred percent. So they still gave themselves every opportunity to win. That's just one of those things that I look at. That when I look at the, the game that Caleb Blesson had, where, where I really think that he was the biggest difference because that was really the biggest advantage that Ohio State had in the game. That's what I think was a huge factor in that. It oh. just it it made it hard for them to be able to effectively defend him with the way the game was called. No question. No question. And that's, you know, one of the bigger problems, in my opinion, in college basketball, is I compare defending defending the post a lot to playing defensive back in football. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of the rules are shifted against you, and that's kind of how I feel it is in college basketball trying to defend the post. I mean, just, you know, looking at a couple calls in general, I mean, Cam Lard gets called for a foul on the possession before, the next possession, he tries to take a charge and just gets ran over at the rim, and then Weston lays it in. And there's no, and there was no whistle at all. There was, that, yeah. That's what was frustrating to me, where it's like this dude is laying his shoulder into people with reckless abandon, and even in like you know, I'm, I'm not generally a person who's a, a a proponent of the fall down and fall the fall down defense there's like i'm going to fall down because i can't stop you i'm not usually that kind of guy but there's i think there are times when it is warranted that was one of them where that guy was just a lot being allowed to put his shoulders into people and just plow through them knowing that there really was nothing else that he could do to get around and get a good look on cam lard and cam tried to negate that and they didn't call it and the ref just looked at him i was like what like what is what is that how how can you do that exactly and that's i think this is a bigger problem in college basketball and I don't have any numbers and I'd love to see statistics but just generally speaking I would say it's clo- it's becoming close to 70% 30% in terms of charge block yeah and we're just in an age now where the rules between a block and a charge are becoming so unclear for officials and Brent Bloom would be the one who could touch on this right. best out of anybody um I think it's just becoming so unclear, the rules for officials, that pretty much now everything's becoming called a charge Yeah. if it's close. And that's why a lot of teams are just now starting to flop because they're starting to get those calls. Well, yeah, and you if you watch the – I know a lot of people are, in the Iowa State fan base are not huge NBA people. How many charges do you think are called an NBA game? Not an average a- NBA game. Maybe one. One, maybe, maybe two. Yeah, like maybe. There, you'll watch a lot of games, and you probably won't see one. 
That's just because it's the rule is so much more defined. We have to be the primary defender and like all this kind of stuff. There's way more to it than what there is in college basketball, where just anybody can come and take a charge on someone. Right. And there's and I mean I was watching the Oregon and Wisconsin game the other day where uh, I think it was Peyton Pritchard was they were kind of in a transition and he he like is going dribbling with his left down the left side of the court and then a guy comes and cuts him off and he starts to go back to his right and De- Brad Davison just happens to step right in front of him while Pritchard is changing direction and then falls backwards and they call the charge. And I was like, whoa, okay. How is that a charge? Yeah. Brad Davison just stopped in the, the place where Pritchard was happened to be running and then fell backwards. There's no that's not an f- offensive foul. Yeah. There's nothing that can be done by Peyton Pritchard in that situation to avoid that. Exactly. And he's not out of control, which is what the charge call is technically supposed to be for is what it's like it's supposed to be a player control foul where you're you're way out of control control and you plow through someone. That's not that's what bothers me about it, the inconsistency of it. The officials see somebody who makes a big show out of the fact that they just got ran over. And then they call foul on the offensive player. Yeah. And this was another thing that Wesson did where I think it was one of the first possessions of the game. He set a screen on someone, and Nick Wilder-Babb was trying to come off of it, and he falls backwards. And I'm like, dude, Nick Wilder-Babb's like 6'4", 170 pounds. You're 6'9", 270. There's, there's no way that he is pushing someone back and making them fall five feet. Yeah. You know, and slide all the way back and the rest fall for it. Yeah. I, like, that's just give him credit. I, the academy should give him an award. <laughs> but that, that's what bothers me about college basketball sometimes. The inconsistency of it is just, it, it's annoying. It depends on the crew that you get more than it depends on anything else. Exactly. And, and just another you know, kind of thing with officiating is that first four game mm-hmm. with Arizona State and St. John's where uh, Mustafa Heron yeah. undercut Luke Dort, and we went to the monitor and called that a flagrant foul. And that just set a precedent for the rest of the tournament now that if any player looks like he's anywhere near being undercut, yeah. that we're going to the monitor. And... It's just be kind of coming overkill, and that's a completely different topic. Right. But I just think in terms of watchability. Well, and, my, and it's like if we're going to go to the monitor every five minutes, we might as well just review everything. That's that's the that's the greater point that I'm heading towards is these block charge calls. The block charge calls. The kick ball. The kick ball call, uh, call on Tyrese Halberton. There should be somebody in New York that can page and say, "Hey, that's the wrong call." Right. And. Like, how, how can you make a call like that? But there's all these other goofy ones that they'll go and look at when that was a blatantly incorrect call in a crucial moment of the game where it would have been a run out. Right. And then all of a sudden, it just it doesn't matter. You get Ohio State gets a free possession out and, of it. And my biggest issue, too, is I think, instant, I think instant replay definitely helps, and it's necessary at this point in time. But, yeah, like we're talking about, You've got plays like that that are just critical plays. And I'm going to preface this by saying officiating did not lose Iowa State the game. No, that's no, we, not the like, point that we're that's getting not at what here. I think this just turned into a larger conversation I of, think that, of the sport exactly. with some examples from the Iowa State game. I, the issue that I have is, yeah, let's, for example, when Tyrese Halliburton, the official calls a kick, that stops a run out for Iowa State. It's clear as day that he hit Where the ball I think with they his were, hand. They were up one, 
maybe at that point, Iowa State was or Ohio State was, and it's going to be a dunk like to right. take the lead, I think. Yeah. And then instead, Ohio State scores. scores so yeah. it's a four-point swing. Yeah. Um, but my point is, why are we not reviewing a play like that? Yeah. But we'll take five minutes at the monitor to put two-tenths of a second on at the end of a game. Right. That's my issue. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that it's just – and that's what I'm sitting there. I'm like, man, like they can review some of the dumbest stuff, but you can't review this. Or even the five seconds at the end where you see the official literally count to five and then still grant timeout. Right. And the rule, I think, is that you can't grant a, grant a timeout after four. Yep, and I tweeted that video that you cannot grant a timeout after a four count, uh-huh. and he clearly gets to a four count. And I, I he, he clearly it. got to five. Yeah, right, and I mean – that that one just and at the heat of the game, obviously, you know, you're not. Yeah. You probably don't see that in real time, but yeah, that I mean, that's just kind of what we talked about. A lot of the fifty fifty calls did not go Iowa State's way, but Iowa State had plenty of other opportunities to win the game. Right. And officials are humans; they make mistakes, just like players. Yeah. Completely understand that. I think we should talk about Iowa State's offense, just from a generic, not a generic standpoint, but from what. You see a lot of people talking about, oh, well, they don't run, they don't run set plays. You know, they're not running actions and all this kind of stuff. I think we can clear some of that up because, in reality, I bet seventy-five percent of teams in college basketball, maybe not seventy-five, sixty-five percent of teams in college basketball, run as offense similar to what Iowa State does. That's like a dribble drive predicated offense with concepts where when this happens, this is what you do. When this happens, this is what you do. When someone dribbles straight at you, you back cut, that kind of thing. And everybody's like, well, it looks like they're not running any kind of offense. Well, they are running an offense. It's just that it can get discombobulated because the, you know, the concepts are all, there's a lot of concepts and it just all can look really random at times. Yeah. Um, Iowa State, yeah, I would say they run kind of like a dribble-drive motion offense. Um, You know, a lot of their sets include guys coming off of, uh, you know, curl cuts on the swing. Yeah, or they they run the play where it's the guys at the bottom and they kind of run the swings. You know, I think think that's like a Bill Self, uh, one of Bill Self's big things where he, I think it's called a swing play, where it's just double screen, guy comes off, read the defender, curl, or come off and take a shot. And... I think that they did a really good job with that play because at the same time they made some adjustments to it later in the season that made it a lot more effective, I think. And But that's still just one play. Right. And the reality of the situation is Iowa State is not going to be Ohio State. Ohio State literally walked the ball up and down the court and they had an offense that was point A to point B to point C to point D to point F and it's just continuous motion. And that... I just don't think that obviously had the players that were going to make it really effective in that because everything for them was run all this action to muddy everything up and then throw the ball to Caleb Wesson with five seconds on the shot clock and let him do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they were just trying to kill the shot clock, a lot of false motion at the beginning. And then yeah. once it was about down to, you know, eight seconds or so, they'd look for a little ball screen, post up Wesson, and pretty much let him go to work. And, yeah, that's not, that's not Iowa State's. That's not how they play. The one thing I would have liked to see more from Iowa State, which, you know, this could have been, uh, you know, more of like a desperation, but mm-hmm. I, I would have liked to see them try more ways to speed up the game just because 
with the pace the game was at, and especially they did a better job in the second half. They did a lot better. job I mean, in the they played half. Ohio State's pace in the first half, yeah. where there was every t- possession, everybody's walking the ball up and down the court. Right, and I mean, just looking, you know, I think they flashed up the graphic on TV where Iowa State didn't score for 15 straight possessions in yeah. the first half, yeah, and they were still right there. So, well, and that's because when you run that style of offense, where you're where it's all predicated on the drill drive. When it's you're allowing teams to set up in the half court, it's not going to be as effective. Right. Because you have to be able to get people into scramble situations. You have to be able to get people on their heels and get them on skates a little bit. And when you just immediately are starting with everybody at a standstill, you can't do that. Right. And I guess my biggest complaint would be, if I had a complaint about Iowa State's offense in this game, is I think that sometimes they got too stagnated to where they wouldn't even get into their offense until under 20 seconds left on the shot clock. Mm -hmm. And from there, instead of having about, if you start your offense with 23 to 25 seconds on the shot clock, you've got probably a solid five or six options. Yeah. Whereas when you cut down the time and you're not starting your offense until 15 to 17 seconds, two or three. And that's how it always ends up where it's just Mariel Shayok dribbling around trying to do something. Yep, or Nick Weiler-Babb at the top getting a high ball screen and right. you know going into screen and roll, and that's where a lot of times you see him taking that elbow jumper. Mm-hmm. And I just think... Which, to his credit, he was a, he's pretty good at. It, right. You know, And, you know, he just had an off night, and that right, happens right. in basketball. They had a bunch of guys. I mean, Michael Jacobson, I think the very first possession, he got a wide-open shot that it's like we've seen him make... 50 times this year, mm-hmm. and it just rattled out. It was that kind of thing where it's like, man, you, they're getting these looks that you, know, that you feel like should go down, that you've seen go down all this time, yeah. and they're just not hitting today. And that was another thing that just hurt them as well. They, they didn't shoot it that well from the outside in general. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of, well, Shayok and Wigginson were the only ones that made three-pointers. Right. So that was just another reason. There was not a lot of driving lanes yeah. uh, for a guy like Lindell or even um, Mariel Shayok. See, and you think back to those Fred teams, those teams did not run an offense that exponentially different from what Iowa State does no. right now. You know, The difference is that you had guys like George and uh, Matt Thomas and Naz, Tyrus McGee, dudes who were just so electric as three-point shooters that you had no option to help off on people. You know, right? But there, Iowa State has too many guys right now that are so inconsistent as shooters that it's a lot easier to help off. Yeah. And when those guys are hitting, when Taylor Horton Tucker's hitting shots, they're unbeatable. You can't see them. That offense is unstoppable. When Tyrese Halburn's making his shots, that offense is unstoppable. But when those guys are just having an off night, you see a night like they had on Friday, where just it seems like everything is really bad, everything's really discombobulated, and I don't know what you do. That's where. Actually, we probably should take a break. But this is where I think having a, a guy like Cam Lard continuing to grow could be really big for the future of Iowa State's offense. I agree. All right, we'll come right back. You're listening to the Cyclone Fanatic radio show powered by Mechdyne on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. Hey, guys. I'm saying thank you to Mechdyne. Who is Mechdyne? I was asking the same thing just a couple of months ago, and then I met some people who work for this fantastic company that is based out of Marshalltown. 
It was started by Iowa State graduates who are now hardcore Cyclone fanatics over 22 years ago. Mechdyne is not only the premier audiovisual and IT service provider in central Iowa, but also around the globe doing business in six of seven continents. They'll bring that global expertise along with local support to help you implement AV technology for conference rooms, classrooms, auditoriums, sports venues, or really just about anywhere you want technology that actually works the way you want it to. So check them out today at mechdyne.com. That's M-E-C-H-D-Y-N-E.com. For the second straight year, Whiskey River, located in Ankeny's Prairie Trail District, is the home of the Cyclone Fanatic Radio Show for the Iowa State Athletic season. Whether it's a Saturday night out with the bros or lunch with the family, Whiskey River and Ankeny's great food, drinks, and friendly service makes it the perfect spot for any occasion. Whiskey River's wall-to-wall TVs make it the perfect place to watch football, baseball, and every sport in between. Plus, you can always join the Cyclone Fanatic staff to talk Cyclone sports on Thursday nights from 6 to 7 at Whiskey River in Ankeny. Hey guys, it's Chris Williams here wanting to tell you about my friends at Nebraska Furniture Mart and Clyde. Now, as you all have come to expect over the years, Nebraska Furniture Mart is known for their great prices, awesome leadership, impressive selection when it comes to you know appliances, electronics, flooring, window treatments, of course, countertops as well. Well, now they've taken it a step further, offering the whole home solution, and they've got a full line of custom cabinetry. Come out to their store in Clyde. Meet the design sales staff to get you that new updated kitchen that you've been looking for. The staff will help you through the entire project from flooring to the cabinets. Nebraska Furniture Mart and Clive, your kitchen and bath remodel headquarters. It's time to find new roads during our 127th One Day, One Price sale this Saturday, March 9th at both Carl Chevrolet locations. Carl Chevrolet is the home of the original One Day, One Price sale. With over 16,000 vehicles sold from this sale, the experience and savings you receive can never be duplicated. Our inventory is unmatched. Our buyers are top-rated and hand-picked to offer the most for your trade. And we're organized with our customers in mind to create the best car buying experience anywhere. Don't miss the biggest one-day sale at both Carl Chevrolet locations. Remember, the sale starts this Saturday and ends this Saturday. One day only at Carl Chevrolet, I-35, exit 90 in Ankeny at The Rock, or Carl Chevrolet of Stewart, I-80, exit 93 in Stewart, Iowa. Your dealer for life, Carl Chevrolet. Cyclone Fanatics, the job world is a competitive place, and at all times you need to dress for success. This is exactly why you should stop into Mr. B Clothing down at 1995 Northwest 86th Street in Clive and see my buddy Tim Sitzman. Now, Mr. B Clothing is a longtime supporter of CycloneFanatic.com, but is also unmatched when it comes to the men's clothing game in Des Moines. The Mr. B staff is friendly, fun, they're very knowledgeable, and trust me, these guys will get you looking good for that next job interview, wedding, or just your everyday wardrobe. When you stop into Mr. B Clothing, be sure to tell them thank you for supporting CycloneFanatic.com. 
This is Dr. Peter Buck, board-certified orthopedic sports medicine physician. For the past 25 years, I've had the privilege of providing care to Cyclone Nation varsity athletes on the sidelines and courtside. The physicians of Iowa State McFarland Sports Medicine are the official team physicians for ISU athletes. My colleagues, Dr. Greenwald, Dr. Warmy, and I specialize in orthopedic care for athletes of all ages and levels. Need a sports injury evaluation? Find out more at McFarland Sports Medicine or call 515-239-4475. Hey guys, it's Williams. We'll get you back to your podcast here momentarily, but it's wanted to talk to you about eye care, of course, today. And my friends at Ames and Des Moines Eye Care, they meet your whole family's vision needs. And they did that to me about a year ago where I got in and had my first eye exam since my childhood. Dr. Kruger was like, what are you doing, man? You got to come in and get your eyes checked more often. And I'm glad that I did. They found some stuff. They got me these designer glasses that I wear when I work now, when I'm creating content for you at CycloneFanatic.com. It has decreased my headaches incredibly. Uh, It's been fantastic. I I didn't even know half the stuff that Dr. Kruger was telling me about. And I'm assuming if you're a middle-aged guy like me, you're probably in the same boat. Get in there to Ames and Des Moines Eye Care. Personalized eye care, designer eyewear. They've got same day, same week appointments, and they are really good people. And they help support us here at CycloneFanatic.com, the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. It's Ames and Des Moines Eye Care. Welcome back. It's the Mechdyne-powered Cyclone Fanatic Radio Show. Segment two, Jared Stansbury and Austin Hurst. We are not at Whiskey River in Ankeny tonight. Uh, had to, to pre-record the show in order to prepare for the Iowa State women's basketball game here shortly at Hilton Coliseum. All right, continuing our conversation on Iowa State's offense. And I think this has kind of turned into a broader conversation. We really... At this point, nobody cares about the game anymore. I think that this just is kind of – it can be a broader conversation on some of the problems that Iowa State had this season and what maybe can be done to fix them in the future. So I mentioned Cam Lard at the end of that last segment. In that game Friday night, that was the first time in a long time, probably first time this entire season, where we saw the Cam from 2017-18, where you were able to throw him the ball on the block and he was able to do something with it at a – high rate. He was really good against Caleb Lesson offensively. I mean, and it was funny. The, I think the second time he came in the game, you could see that he had realized what kind of advantage he had on him just in pure quickness and speed, where when Iowa State would get a defensive rebound, Cam like shot out of a cannon. He looked like Usain Bolt compared to Caleb Lesson, who is a guy that if you can, I don't know how well you can see it on TV. Let's just say that, uh, Caleb Lesson is not the most uh, fleet of foot individual, if, if you understand what I'm saying. Com- completely understand. But that's where when that offense, and this I think goes back to the, the conversation of the offense with the Fred years, the offense is not that much different. But when you got in those situations where it is 10 seconds on the shot clock, nothing else, you haven't been able to find anything else. In 2014-15, you said, all right, we got nothing else. George, plant your butt on the block. Throw him the ball on the block. George Yang, one of the great, I think of recent years, one of the great smaller post players, undersized post players. What was George Yang going to do? He's going to make a post move. He's going to get you a bucket. If Iowa State can develop a guy like that where you can throw the ball to him on the block in those situations and say, hey, 
put the ball in the basket. Get as close to the basket as you can and put it in. Then I think that that could really help them, and I think that you started to see where Cam has that in him, but he's, he's inconsistent with it still because it's just we, we know how inconsistent Cam is as a player in general. I think you could ar- argue that that was the best game of Cam Lard's career. I agree. I think it was. I really think just it was. Just pure circumstances and everything. He obviously had games where he put up better numbers last year, but offensively, that was by far his best game of the season yeah. where you saw him purely doing something for himself. And he, he competed his butt off on defense. Too. Right. You know, he wasn't taking a single possession off. And, yeah, I think that that's another moving piece that going forward into next year is that's something to watch, obviously. Um, if he can play that way, Iowa State could be really good next year, obviously, depending on who mm-hmm. who comes back, who leaves. And that's a whole other topic. But, yeah, just like we were, we were discussing, this, this team, if anything's different from the Fred era to now, it's just definitely more guys in the Fred era compared to the Prome era for this team in terms of who can get their own shot whenever they want. Right. I think that Lindell Wigginton's a guy who could get his own shot whenever he wants. I think that Mariel Shayok was a guy who could get his own shot whenever he wants. I think Taylor Horton Tucker is a guy who can get a shot whenever he wants. And you can tell how good Taylor is going to be by when he, he touches the ball for the first time. Does he go downhill or does he stay uphill? Where he's shooting those step back three pointers and that kind of stuff. Right. His best games were the games where when he caught the ball on the wing and he attacked his defender and went straight at him and went to the rim. Yeah. And that kid, that guy is a really great offensive player. The other one is a really streaky offensive player where you could see him get really hot for a few seconds and then you might not he might not score again for the rest of the game. And I think the biggest thing with Taylor is if I'm Steve Prome and I'm in his shoes, obviously Taylor will go. He's going to go through the draft process, mm-hmm. and he'll get his feedback. And if he decides to return next year, I think the biggest. What do you thing, think? What, can I give you my guess on what he'll get for feedback? I mean, we've seen the mock drafts and all that stuff that where it's like he's in the first round. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that he will get. They'll say, if a team really loves you, which is what my guess is of why he keeps ending up in these mock drafts. I feel like there's probably a couple scouts out there that these guys talk to mm-hmm. that are just in love with what Taylor Horton Tucker can do. And the reality of it is it's, like, really just a couple teams. Mm-hmm. When you only got a couple teams that really like you, you it's a very volatile situation. They come up, oh, somebody dropped down in the draft. We're going to take him. Oh, we, we trust this scout's opinion more than we trust this one. Something like that. And then all of a sudden you're, it's, you fall in the second round. It's like, damn. And it's, I, I kind of shouldn't have came out probably. Exactly. And it's just, it's just based off of an evaluation of, We've got you slotted going 20 to 30, or we've got you slotted 30 to 45. Yeah. Um, it's not a promise or it's not a guarantee because nothing's written, nothing's binding. So a team could tell Taylor, hey, we really like you. We're picking 17 this year. If you're there, we're, we're going to take you. Whereas someone falls that was projected top 10 to 17, and teams now like, oh, yeah. well, you know, we have this promise with Taylor, but. This guy's a top 10 talent on our board, and he's still here. Mm-hmm. Who do you think they're going to take? Right. I mean, that's just – it's a very volatile situation, like you said. I think that there are rumblings of teams that really do like him and are really intrigued with his skill set, his age. I mean, he's very unique. He's six foot four, has a 7'1 wingspan. He can obviously still get in better shape. 
But I think that what he's going to hear is that they're going to say, go work on your body, go work on your consistency, just try to be a better with your shot selection. And if he does that and comes back and has a huge sophomore season, then all of a sudden it goes from being, well, we think you might go in 17 to 20 or 17 to 30 or whatever to be in like, if you go and do all that stuff, you'll put yourself in contention to be a top 15 type pick. And the thing that Talon has going for him, even into next year, is his age. I was going to say, he won't be 20 for two he'll, years. He'll be 19 for next year's draft. Right. And that's the age of a normal college freshman by the time they're coming out. Right. So he's extremely young, and the age thing isn't going to hurt him. And I think, yeah, exactly. A lot of teams are going to look at it and say, you know, you're a 30% three-point shooter. We think you're better than that. Yeah. Get it to 35. And I think I think that can easily be done because his mechanics on his shot and his form, mm-hmm. he has a good-looking shot. I just think the biggest thing for him is he just hurts his percentage by taking so many low-percentage shots right. with his step backs. And if you can just, you know, a lot of those shots you saw him taking in rhythm this year, he made a lot of three-pointers. Right. And I think he could really help his percentage if he can just – improve his shot selection. Mm-hmm. And I think my challenge would be if I'm in Coach Prohm's shoes and Talon decides to return next year, I think I'd challenge him and say, hey, I want you to try to shoot 10 free throws a game. Yeah. And just get him going to the basket more because playing the four for Iowa State, I mean, obviously he's going to have a lot of mismatches on the offensive end, kind of like we saw with Deontay Burton. Mm-hmm. And – a lot of times what you saw with Deontay was he was really, really good when he was attacking the basket. Right. And I think Talon could be the same way. And then if you can just get Talon to take more in-rhythm three-pointers, he could easily average 15 points a game next year. Easily. And I think to, and I, the thing that Deontay had was his just pure explosiveness. I, Talon does not have that. But I think he's he's got the potential to have – much be more much much more explosive than what he is right now. Challenge him to get in the weight room, get faster, get stronger. Not that Talon is fat or anything like that. No, he but just he, has some he, baby fat. He has a soft body compared to what a lot of NBA prospects do. And part of that's just his youth. It's just his youth. He's a lot younger, right? And but in another year, another year in the weight room in the system. That dude is going to look a lot. I mean, he's going to look a lot different. Yeah. He's going to look a lot stronger and just bigger and a lot more like what Deontay Burton did by the end of his career, where he looked like a Greek god. And I think that with Talon, I think it, playing around 240 pounds with his height, it, you know, isn't an issue. Yeah. But if you can get it even to, you know, more more muscle, yeah, even 230, yeah. I mean, because he wasn't really getting physically bullied at no, all. He no. was able to hold his own. It's just. You know, like we said, he, he's a younger kid, so he's obviously just got a little bit more of that baby fat on him. So just a full off season in the weight room mm-hmm. and just consistently working on his shot. I mean, he definitely could jump his way into the lottery, especially what, if teams yeah. love him right now enough to have him top 20. But I will say, if, you know, if, if he does get evaluation from a lot of teams saying he's top 20, I think he, he's going to have a big decision on his hands right. because that's one of those, in my personal opinion, that could go either way. Yeah. And you can't really fault him one way or the other. No. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, do you want to be a top 10 pick or do you want to be a top 20? What's right. the difference? Exactly. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day. And, I mean, that's the thing. You know, you you hear a lot of times about 
players hurting their draft stock coming back, but that's not necessarily true. I mean, Miles Bridges returned. He still went in the lottery. I mean, the ten- and plays for the then plays now as a rookie for the Hornets. Exactly. You know, so I just think he's the biggest one that's going to get feedback. Um, Lindell. I was just going to say, what about Lindell? What I, do we think about him? I personally think. I, I don't think he's going to get drafted. I don't. I think that he will get. He he will not get a. He will get a worse grade. I think after this year than he would have last year. I think. I think it'll probably be similar because just a lot of the things. And this is just my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of the feedback he got last year was we want to see you more as a playmaking guard on the ball, and he was able to showcase that sometimes this year. But his ball handling, in my opinion, just hasn't improved enough to show that he can handle full point guard point guard responsibilities at the next level. He's just too and here. Where I'm at is I think that he's too. When he has the ball in his hands, if you're going to make him your primary decision maker, he's too out of control too often. But the fact that he's out of control is because he's so explosive, and that in some level it's a positive. But on some level, but like if you want to be a high volume scoring combo guard, then you then like that's a fine thing to be. But if you want to be a playmaking point guard, then you can't be like that because that's when you're throwing the ball into the stands or throwing balls that to a wide open shooter that hit them at their feet and that kind of stuff. So he either has to it's gotta be one or the other, you know? And in some level you're harnessing some of the natural ability that he has. And just right now, best case scenario for him would be a backup point guard in the NBA. Yeah. Well the number one thing teams look for in a backup point guard, look at Monte Morris, a guy who's going to come in, not going to hurt not, you, not going to hurt the team. Yeah. And with Lindell, I think he's obviously has a higher, you know, scoring ability than like Monte did, but in terms of actual just playmaking and making his teammates better, I just don't think he's shown enough for a team to pick him. Mm-hmm. And even if they do, it's going to be a second round grade, yeah. which isn't a guaranteed contract anyways right so i also think feedback that he will get is he needs to become a lot better on the ball defender Mm -hmm. i think that's one of the biggest things that's holding him back is kind of i don't know whether or not it is his defensive you know just iq or kind of his instincts but just when you watch him play the athleticism does not match up with the defensive production he's on his heels a lot that's why he gets driven by so often. It's like he almost thinks that he can compensate with his pure athleticism, but then all of a sudden somebody's already passed him. Right. You know, he just he doesn't seem like he, not that he's not locked in. It's just like that he doesn't have like very good anticipation Instincts, of pl- of yep. playing defense. Yep. You know, and I think he can get really good at that. But if I'm if I'm somebody that's giving him feedback saying this is what you need to work on this year, I think number one, like you mentioned, is his ball handling. Just being able to take care of the basketball better. I think he needs to figure out a way to control when his shoulders get way out over his feet. That's why he falls down so much when he's trying to attack the basket. That's why you see him losing the ball a lot in those situations is he's getting so far downhill, which is good sometimes. But at the same time, you have to know when to limit that to where it's not too much. Your momentum isn't going too far forward. 
And then the other one is, I think you mentioned it, the defense, and then just his decision-making, just getting better at that stuff, watching a lot of film, seeing, oh, I should have done this here, I should have done this here. If I had to make a guess, and this is just my opinion, I think both those guys will be back. That's my hunch right now, just based on what I think we saw from them the last two weeks. I think those guys are a lot more bought in to what they're doing at Iowa State than they were three weeks ago. And I think they kind of came to the realization after the whole team meeting and everybody coming together that the more this team wins, and like you said, if you think they're going to return next year, the more next year's team wins, Mm -hmm. that's just going to be better for everybody because, number one, it shows that they can play within a team system, and that's one of the biggest fears of guys coming out of college for NBA evaluators is, for example, last year, and this isn't – attacking Lindell's personality because I think you know I think he's a good kid mm-hmm. um is he you know is he able to compete and play in a team environment or is he just a really good scorer on a really bad team mm-hmm. and that's kind of the thing that NBA evaluators have to differentiate is okay how well does this kid fill in like how good do we actually think he is or is he just putting up really good stats on a really poor team and he's just by far the best player and I'm leaning right now. I think Lindell will be back. I think Talon is a little bit more complicated. I think it's really going to go down to the I think Talon actually is more torn on whether or not he would even want to than what. I think Lindell, if he could go, he probably would. But I think Talon is more like, it is like he would come back. But then it's like, you know, if he gets that, that grade, then it's like, okay, now you kind of got to go. Right. And the number one thing is Steve Prohm is going to give them all the best genuine advice that he can give them. And Steve's going to talk to all of the NBA evaluators and get all the feedback that they're giving them so then when the time comes that they can make the right decision for them because, you know, Prome is not going to just, hey, come back next year, we'll win next year. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's best for Talon or if it's best for Lindell to move on to the next level, that's definitely what what Coach Prome's going to advise. Right. And... I just think that's another thing as well that short-sighted it doesn't it's not going to help the team next year like for example if Taylor ends up turning pro after one year it's not going to help the team next year but long term it's going to help in recruiting yeah. the image of Iowa State and the image of Steve Prome getting guys in the NBA because a majority of these kids that you're recruiting that's their goal mm-hmm. they want to play at the next level and they want to play for a long time in the NBA or, you know, professionally. Right. And I think that it's something that it's going to be a positive either way. It just might be a longer-term positive if if one or both go pro. But either way, I think it's going to be an overall positive for Iowa State. But I do think for Talon, it's going to come down to the last minute because Mm -hmm. I think he'll have more workouts – more interviews, and I just think that he will be getting a lot of feedback because I are, I think there are a lot of teams that are interested in him. And with Lindell, I think he will be back. Yeah. That, that is my guess. If you bring those two guys back with Tyrese Halberton and Prentice Nixon, I mean, that's, a, that's probably a top ten guard court in college basketball going into the season. I think if, if you bring – 
Lindell back and if you bring Talon back and assuming pretty much the whole core comes back, obviously outside of Shayok and Weiler Babb. They're probably a top twenty team. I think they're a top top twenty five team for sure. Yeah. And I do think looking forward, I think Prentice Nixon's a player that not a lot of people are talking about. That's gonna be a really good player for, for yeah. Iowa State. I don't know how much he'll score. Like how much he'll be like a primary scorer, but that dude can defend. And yeah. I, I'm guessing he'll probably come off the bench if if I had to guess right now today. If and obviously that'll fluctuate depending on who's returning right. and who's leaving. But I would agree right now. I think he's kind of a guy that coming off the bench, he could be similar to a Tyrus McGee or but even Lindell this year. Yeah, like a Tyrus McGee, but without the you know potential to be like a 45 percent right. three point yeah. shooter. You yeah, know? he can be a good shooter, but he's not. He's not like otherworldly Tyrus McGee shooter. Right, and that that was probably a poor comparison. No, no, I, just, I, I that's exactly who I was thinking of too. Where I mean, I mean Tyrus defended so hard, right. like he just played so hard. That's the kind of guy I think that Prentice will be. Where it's like, and just he will be able to shoot a little bit, but just don't expect him to be a. You know, guy that can come in immediately and is like the microwave, where it's like, oh, he can hit four three pointers in 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 a minute, right? And I just think he's a guy that's going to give you more quality depth. Yeah, and I think that's one of the biggest things that we we're starting to see under Prome is these teams are becoming deeper than what Fred's teams were. You know, one through five or even one through six, Fred's teams could stack up with. Arguably any team in Iowa State history. Yeah, arguably any team in the country during those years. Yep, and the biggest thing... But when one guy got hurt, then all of a sudden Daniel Adozi is starting in the the, the round of 32 against North Carolina, and you're like, oh boy, I hope we can get through this one. And I I just think you're starting to see a lot more quality depth um, that's being built up with, with Steve Prohm's teams. Yeah, I definitely agree. All right, we'll be right back on the Mechdyne-powered Cyclone Fanatic Radio Show on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Hey, guys, it's Chris Williams letting you know about Mechdyne IT Help Desk Services. Started by Iowa State graduates and diehard Cyclone Fanatics over 22 years ago. Mechdyne's onshore team of U.S.-based experts provide quality IT support around the clock. After hours, IT support can be hit and miss, but Mechdyne offers a lot more than just answering service during your non-core hours. You'll actually receive the same level of IT support no matter what time of day you contact them. They space out your organization's IT team from those routine support tasks so that you can focus on growing your business. As a trusted consultant, bringing fresh ideas and cost-effective solutions to many day-to-day headaches of routine IT user support, check out mechdyne.com. That's M-E-C-H-D-Y-N-E dot com. Hey guys, it's Chris Williams here wanting to tell you about my friends at Nebraska Furniture Mart and Clive. Now, as you all have come to expect over the years, Nebraska Furniture Mart is known for their great prices, awesome leadership, impressive selection when it comes to you know appliances, electronics, flooring, window treatments, of course, countertops as well. Well, now they've taken it a step further, offering the whole home solution, and they've got a full line of custom cabinetry. Come out to their store in Clyde. Meet the design sales staff to get you that new updated kitchen that you've been looking for. The staff will help you through the entire project from flooring to the cabinets. Nebraska Furniture Mart and Clive, your kitchen and bath remodel headquarters. 
Hi, this is Dr. Thomas Greenwald, board-certified orthopedic sports medicine physician. For over 25 years, I've taken care of ISU athletes and am an official team physician of Iowa State athletes. I'm a proud supporter of Cyclone Nation. As an orthopedic surgeon, I specialize in musculoskeletal care for athletes of all ages, from high school to collegiate athletes to adult weekend warriors. Trust McFarland Orthopedic Sports Medicine and my colleagues Dr. Buck and Dr. Warmy and I for extraordinary sports injury care and rehabilitation. Visit us on the web at McFarlandSportsMedicine.com. Go Cyclones! Hello, Fanatics. This is Chris Williams. There are few financial commitments you will make in your life that are more important than where to get your mortgage from. That's why I want to tell you about my friend Jason Larson at Gershman Mortgage in Ankeny. Here's a real review from a client on Facebook. Jason was amazing to work with. He kept in contact with us where we were at throughout the whole process. When we went to sign, he had coffee and donuts for us that morning. He was super kind and helpful, and we said we would refer him to anyone looking to buy a home. Now, that's just one review. Jason Larson, Gershman Mortgage, and Ankeny is an equal housing lender. Their NMLS number is 138063. Give them a call at 515-554-6177. Please tell him that Chris Williams and Cyclone Fanatics sent you. Ever since the first footballs were made of pigskin, there's been a connection between football and pork. Today, that connection thrives in parking lots, where you'll find everything from spicy spare ribs to bacon-wrapped pork tenderloin being served at tailgating parties. Once again, without pork, football just wouldn't be football. This message is brought to you by the Iowa Pork Producers through the Pork Checkoff, who make tailgating more delicious. Learn more at iowapork.org. This is Iowa Diamond President Chuck Kuba. After 20 years of serving engagement and wedding couples, I can't help but reflect back on the thousands of wonderful folks we've helped and ask myself, how can we be so lucky? Is it our incredible ring selection or the quiet private atmosphere? Then came the epiphany. Out of all the people in the world, we make you feel like you are the most important people in the world. Because at that moment, to all of us at Iowa Diamond, you are. Visit us at iowadiamond.com or in person anytime. You'll see what I mean. Welcome back to the Mechdyne-powered Cyclone Fanatic Radio Show. Jared Stansberry and Austin Hurst taking you here to the top of the hour. Just a little bit more than an hour away from tip at Hilton Coliseum between the Iowa State women and the Missouri State Bears for a trip to the Sweet 16 in Chicago. Chris Williams and Brent Bloom will have the call for you from Ames. So we've been breaking down just some, some of our thoughts on Iron State here going into the offseason season. I think we've had a pretty productive conversation. Uh, if you are looking at this roster, assume one person is gone. One more attrition point, because if you don't have any more attrition, then there's no more open scholarships. Assume there's one point of, attri- of, of attrition. What do you think needs to be the focus for the staff in filling that role to best benefit the next team I personally would say another guard or wing Mm -hmm. would be the best benefit just because in college basketball I believe that you can never have enough of those guys it's just obviously such a guard driven um, league and with the amount of big guys that we have returning I was going to say they're pretty set in the front court yeah the, the front court's pretty loaded I mean Solomon Young doesn't even get mentioned and 
he's going to be back as far as we know, mm -hmm. and that's just another another contributor. Michael which, Jacobson is an all-conference guy. Uh, Cam Lard has been an all-conference guy. George Condit, I think, will be an all-conference guy. Yeah, I think they're set in the front court. Zion Griffin, people forget about him, too. He didn't play very much this year, but yeah. he'll fit into that same equation, I think. Yeah, I think, personally, it's, it's a wing or a guard um, that'll be best fit for next year's team. That being said, if, for example, uh, a grad transfer um, forward comes on the market, that would be an immediate starter or an immediate impact guy. Mm -hmm. I think, obviously, if you can, you get the best player you can get for that scholarship, regardless of position, as long as it's somebody that you're confident can come in and contribute and help you win and help you get back to the tournament next year. But if you're talking about sheerly position of need, I personally would say it would be a guard or a wing. Yeah. I think that if you could get another guy in that Mariel Shayok mold, that yeah. that would be, I mean, pretty ideal. Yeah. You know, obviously those guys don't grow on trees. But, right. uh, yeah, if you can just get a guy that is a slasher type. I mean, Mariel didn't get to the rim that much. But a guy who can create his own shot can get to the rim. That would be, I think, best case scenario and can defend and at I, a high level on the wing. And I would not be opposed either if it's a sit-out guy as well. Yeah. I think uh, Steve Prohm's had success with those type of guys in Iowa State just in general um, ever since Fred has had the success with those type of guys. Right. Well, and you can look at this roster too and be like, man, like how many more people do you even need? Right. You know? Exactly. Because I, I am it, – it's not a very highly rated high school class this year, not as – heralded as last year's but i think looking at this high school class you've got three guys that could be solid four-year players yeah. for iowa state and marcetus leach is the one that i think is going to be it's like the big question mark right now he's one of the big unknowns because if that kid comes back and is 100 percent, i mean iowa state got a freaking steal yeah because that dude was as good as any player in the class when he was healthy yeah and that's just obviously the unknown is is he going to be closer to that or will his we will he still be coming off that injury and i know i've read stuff on him that you know he kind of says he's slowly getting his athleticism back and his coach has said he had a very good year he's slowly getting his athleticism back and that's great to hear um he's just a guy that you might need to kind of wait get him in the college weight room mm -hmm. and you know he might be a a little bit of a quote-unquote late bloomer just due to the fact of the injury because before the injury, obviously, he is by far the most talented player in the class. Yeah. And I don't think anybody's going to argue that. He honestly might have, before injury, he might have been one of the most talented players that they've brought in in a while. Yeah, 100%. I, I mean, mean, right up there with Lindell and Taylor. Yeah. And I think the other two, uh, Trey Jackson, who's a point guard out of South Carolina, and Luke Anderson, um, who's a forward out of Florida, I think both of those guys – might have a chance to see the floor next year just because I can't of the shooting aspect. Maybe, yeah, maybe for that. I just have a hard time thinking that Luke Anderson's going to work into the rotation with as much as they've got in, that, in, the, in the front court. Right, which he's going to be the one that, you know, is more than likely not going to play. And I'm not stating that he is going to play. I just think that his ability to shoot the basketball uh -huh. is going to give him a chance to play early. Yeah. It, it, I mean, you can never have enough shooting on the floor. Right, right. And just of the video that I've watched of both of those guys, they both look to have, you know, very good jump shots and 
could definitely help the three-point shooting aspect, especially Trey Jackson. He's one that I do think probably will play early, um, kind of in that backup point guard role, Mm -hmm. just another ball handler to have on the floor and a guy that can stretch the floor. But, yeah, Luke Anderson as well, I think – I think he's going to be a guy that it's a very he's a very effective four-year player for Iowa State. Mm-hmm. I'm worried about uh, the future of my guy, Terrence Lewis. This is so much promise. It's just, I just don't think it worked out just because there's out of pure numbers at the end of the day. Are you still a Terrence Lewis stockholder? No, nah, I don't. Off all yeah, shares? I think, well, if he were to transfer and ends up at like a Wisconsin-Milwaukee, I wouldn't be shocked at all if he ended up being a guy that was just a stud, like in as a senior. You yeah, know? I just don't think it was going to work out here after the number of guys that they were bringing in. And I mean, he's kind of buried at this point. Yeah, I think if and he just didn't. It never felt like he took very good advantage of the opportunities that he had. And I, I just think it was one of those things where, you know, for whatever reason, the fit wasn't great. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, when when he came in, he was he was a highly recruited kid and. I mean, he was a 3-and-D guy, and that's kind of exactly what, what we were looking for. And even at the end of last year, you know, it kind of looked like he might be a guy that would contribute this year. Right. And just seeing him not play a lot, even with the Lart suspension, the Tally suspension, and the Wigginton injury, um, it just made you kind of wonder right. if he was going to ever contribute. Because that would have been the point for him to show that he could. Well, and that makes me weary, too, of when you see a guy who's a really high-level shooter, even at the high school level. I mean, he shot 50% from three as a high school senior mm-hmm. and probably shot in the 20s as a college player. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe he shoots a lot better as a in practice and all that kind of stuff. And for some reason, when the lights come on, his shot doesn't go in. But I don't know. I really, I'm My guess right now is that if anybody were to leave by transfer, it would be him. And I do think that he'd go to a lower level, and I, I almost guarantee he'll have success later yeah. in his career. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, obviously if he's a guy that wants to stick it out here and be a Cyclone, obviously would love to, you know, have him. Mm-hmm. But if he decided to move on, nobody would blame him. Right. Everybody would wish him the best because he's a kid who's, you know, hasn't really had any problems here. And right. from everything you hear, he's a good guy in the locker room and, you you always root for those type of guys for sure. All right, real quick, any uh, what stuck out to you most from the entire NCAA tournament? It's it's kind of been a boring a boring a lot first, of shock, huh? First couple games, yeah. yeah. I uh, in terms of sticking out, Fletcher McGee, man, first round, man, I know. So it stunk that he he played so bad in the second round. Yeah, that's, man, if uh, he would have played anywhere near what he played in the first, they would have won. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, I felt bad for him. He's he had a great career. Yeah. Um, man, that Wofford team though they're they're fun to watch. Yeah, they are. They're they're just a good collective team. Um, want to know my big takeaway right now? What's your big takeaway? Man, Dana Altman might be the best coach in the country. That's I think that might be the hottest team in the tournament right now. The Ducks are on fire, dude. And that's kind of what we talked about last week was. Is Oregon actually that good, or is the Pac-12 that bad? And I think we're starting to show that. I think Oregon's just they're really peaking good. at the right time. Yeah, I mean they blew out Wisconsin. The Anteaters hung tough for a little while, going that 14-0 run to tie the game, and then all of a sudden Oregon finishes the game on like a 30 to 
12 run or something like that yep. and just destroys them. I don't know. Kenny Wooten's playing at a high level. Peyton Pritchard's playing at a super high level. I, I got a hard time seeing it. I think they're going to beat Virginia. I do. That's a hot take. I'm just saying. I, I think that they are playing at a level that's a – because they've got the offense and they've got the high-level defense. They haven't given up 65 points in like 11 games. Something just stupid crazy. And I don't know. I can't – I just I, I don't see anybody being able to keep up with them right now. I, I mean, I could definitely see that happening. And just Virginia – they're a team that, with the style that they play, you're always going to be a little bit concerned about them because in the NCAA tournament, they're almost always going to be in close games right. or closer games just right. because with the way they play, they never really blow anybody out, especially during the NCAA tournament. So that's going to be, I mean, that's probably going to be a game where the first to 60 might win. Yeah, I agree. All right, we're an hour out from the tip in Ames between Iowa State women and the Missouri State Bears in the round of 32 in the NCAA tournament. Chris Williams and Brent Bloom will have the call for you at 8 o'clock. I think pregame probably starts around 7.30, but game tips at 8 o'clock right here on 1460 KXNO. Thanks, man, for coming in. Thank you. Talk to you guys again next week. You've been listening to the Mechdyne Powered Cyclone Fanatic Radio Show on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO.